see all of you here this evening. The last time that we were together, <clears throat> we had initially started, uh, well actually we had sort of wrapped up, uh, took a minute or two to sort of wrap up the comparison of uh, the Christ and the church to husbands and wives, and then we talked about children and parents, and we had read in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4, how that children should obey uh, their parents, uh, how they should honor their father and mother in verse 2, but then also uh, in verse 4, that the father not provoke the children to wrath. We read a few different verses uh, that dealt with loving children, <clears throat> and tonight we are going to start with uh, talking about teaching and guiding children. And if we can get further, we'll get into disciplining, setting an example, and providing for children as well. So, <clears throat> let's start with teaching and guiding. And before we get into teaching and guiding children, let's just talk about teaching and guiding in general. Okay? First of all, teaching and guiding. Are they the same thing? I think kind of so. I think it would be fair to say that teaching and guiding are a significant thing. Uh, if you put them together, they have some significant similarities. When we think about teaching, what comes to mind when we think about teaching? School, School teacher, okay. What else do we maybe think of with teaching? Instruction, okay? It doesn't have to be a school teacher, although that's probably what we tend to think about, but some form of instruction. Most everything that we know how to do had to, in some form or fashion, be taught to us. It might have been from your teacher in front of the classroom. It might have been from a parent. It might have been yourself. How many of you are self-taught in certain things? Okay? We've had to figure it out. And it might have been we had to practice and we had to make a mistake and we had to break something. But then the next time we got better at it. Now, what is guiding? Well, a lot of people know a lot of facts, but they sometimes don't know how to apply those facts, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, you might know how to use a circular saw really, really well, but you might need somebody to show you the proper guidance, you know, to. Uh, to Right. Sure. Okay. What else do we think of with guiding? What pops into your mind maybe when we uh, when, when we hear the word guiding? Okay. Anybody ever been somewhere where you've had a guide? 
maybe a tour guide uh, or, or something along those lines. What's the purpose of the guide? If it's a tour guide through an old house or if it's a somebody leading you on a hike or on a trail ride or whatever, what, is this, what purpose does that guide serve? Okay, so there's some teaching that's involved with guidance as well, right? I worked for two years as a tour guide at the William Whitley House, okay? Well, I had knowledge of things there at the William Whitley House. And my responsibility was to guide people through that house and point out things and also be able to answer their questions. And the thing about any kind of teaching or guidance is you never know which question is coming next. But whenever you're providing guidance, you need to be able to help, right? What good is guidance if it doesn't help? What good is teaching if it doesn't help? If it doesn't actually teach anything? You can teach a lot of things and teach it completely wrong. I've done that as a school teacher where I've stood in front of the class and I said, you know, I I was as confident in the world at what I said and then later I realized I was dead wrong about that. Well, teaching and guiding is important. And we're going to talk tonight about teaching and guiding children. And we're going to look at a few verses in particular along the way. As I told you last week, as we go through sort of these five segments, we've got three, four, five verses that go with each one. So keep Ephesians, I guess, kind of handy. But turn now to Proverbs, the 22nd chapter in verse 6. Proverbs, 22nd chapter, verse 6. I feel like that Proverbs is an easy book to find because if you just split your Bible in half, you should be close to being there. Uh, If you're close to getting to Proverbs, sometimes you'll even find some books that you haven't thought about in a while when you turn to them uh, there as well. But Proverbs, we're looking at Proverbs, the 22nd chapter and verse 6. This is nothing new. There's not a single thing we're going to read here that you have not read at some point in your life. And at read chapter six, or chapter 22, verse 6 in the book of Proverbs. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. I feel like I heard that before, right? Raymond actually used that quote last week. We had to talk him down just a little bit so we weren't quite ready for it just yet. But that quote can be used all the time. So let's talk a little bit about that. Training up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. If we're talking about parents and children, there's a role here that both sides have to play. First part of verse 6, who has the role to play? The parent. Whoever is providing the teaching, the guidance, what's going to be the parent. So we're going to train up a child in the way he should go. Now, what is the word? What do we mean here by in the way he should go? It's in the way he should live. Okay. I think that's, I, I think all of that sort of falls in. When I think of go, we tend to think about a movement from one place to another, right? You know, if I'm going to go, it, when, whenever the, you know, whenever the, the light flashes green, that means we do what? We go. What if you stay sitting at the light when it flashes green? What's going to happen? You, you're going to be trained. You're going to be you're going to be trained up the way you should go by some people behind you, right? They're going to blow that horn. You need to go. Okay. So we know that that green light means to go. But when we read here, train up a child in the way he should go. The go is how we should live, how we should act, how we should behave, what we should do as a 
what, what we would want our children to do as they continue to grow. Now, why is it significant that we do that? Why, why is it significant? Why is it important to train up a child, we see that word there, in the way that should go? Okay. What else? Child has to be taught everything. Judy? So we're sort of laying that sort of groundwork, that baseline for what maybe we can benefit, how we can all could benefit from that later. As some, something that I deal with a lot is students who get in trouble. And a lot of times the parents come in and the parents are just now trying to sort of discipline the kid. They're just now trying to train the kid. And the problem is, is that the kid is 16 years old. Well, it's really hard. I'm not saying you can't do it, but it's really difficult. Because I've got 16 years worth of kind of doing whatever I want. Okay? If you let the kid do whatever they want, what will they probably do? Something wrong. Something wrong. Okay? Maybe something bad. Don't make bad choices. You know why? They're learning better. They're kids. That's how that works. They're going to do something dumb because they don't know any better. But if we're training the child up as they go, then the first time they make a mistake, and they're absolutely going to make a mistake, the first time they make a mistake, what should our responsibility be as the parent? To, to, to tell them, to correct them, to train them. It's no different than in the math class. When the kids work on the problem and they do the problem wrong, do you just, you, you know, what, what do you do? You show them the right way. They're never going to learn if you say, well, that was wrong. And then don't say anything more after that. They're not, it's probably not going to benefit much if you just start pounding them upside the head. Two plus two is four, just keep hitting them. That's probably not going to work either. What we got to do is we've got to do some training right there. And as Christians, Christian parents, we have to train our children in that same way. Now let's go to the second part right there. Train up a child in which they will go. Judy said this a minute ago, what's the second part then? And he never depart from And he will never depart from that. Well, I would say that that is probably 100% wrong, right? Because there's always been people that have been trained up good. They've departed from it. Sure as the world, right? So why is, what is this verse, how does this verse jive here with the reality that in many cases, some people do depart from it? He's got a lot better opportunity to go the right way than he does the wrong way if he's trained up that way, you know. But that, like you say, that's not 100% going to be the case every time, but I've seen cases like that where it didn't happen that way. You think, well, what happened to them? They've been in the church for years. Right. So I, I think what we see in this, and what we see a lot of Proverbs is statements that are designed to instruct, designed to provide knowledge and information. We're taught that Solomon was the wisest person that ever lived. Well, <clears throat> these are far reaching, sort of broad statements here. But there's a much better chance of the second part of this verse happening if the first part of this verse takes place. Will the second part of this verse happen without the first part of the verse? 
Probably not, right? If you say, if, if we rephrased it and said, don't worry about training up a child in the way he should go, and then when he's old, he won't depart from it. That verse doesn't make sense, right? So we're laying that groundwork in the first part of that verse with our training and our teaching and our guiding so that they will depart from it. Now, Lucille, I like what you said a minute ago because sometimes people will say that. Boy, they weren't raised like that. How many of you have known people that have went through that valley right there of, oh, they weren't raised like that, and they come out on the other side in a positive way? You ever known somebody like that? They was raised like this in good. They went through this troubled spot, whatever this troubled spot was. It was bad, but then they came back here. Well, I don't know necessarily if they can give 100% credit for what happened over here, but a lot of that was sort of embedded in them that it was hard to, uh, they, they remembered that, that teaching that came from mom or dad or grandma or whoever it was. We all know people that have been in those kind of situations. Maybe may have been one of us. It very well could have been. Thoughts on that before we go to the next verse? I think that while we've been talking, I think of teaching by example is one of the most important things that comes as much as what you say is how you live and how you act. Uh, you know, if, if kids see their parents drinking or smoking or cursing, then it's just commonplace. Well, it becomes difficult to tell somebody not to do something if you do that something, okay? That, that becomes... <coughs> it becomes really difficult to instruct somebody on what to do if you're not actually doing that as well. You know, it's sort of like we go back to the math teacher. If you're working the math problems wrong on the board, what are the odds that the kids in the class are going to get it wrong? It's tough, right? Because that example is not really there. I mean, they can see that this is how you're supposed to do math, but I'm not getting that right answer. The same thing here. If you're saying, well, I'm going to teach you how to live like a Christian, but I'm absolutely not going to live like a Christian myself, what are the odds of the child growing up and being a Christian? It's going to be thin. So that example, and I think that's an important point, Connie, with teaching and with guidance is that the example that is said is just as important as the words that are taught. I saw a documentary the other day, and it was the exact opposite of what we're talking about, but it, it's exactly true. This man had a, he was always involved in everything up in Detroit, and he has a son, and they decided after a while he could let the son make the contacts and make the drug samples <coughs> and things like that because the son were kind of ignored by the police, you know, by and large. He's 14 years old or something like that. Well, the boy has since then, since 18 years old, has stayed 27 years in the penitentiary, and he's still got time for court. And uh, he didn't he didn't fall far from the truth. His dad taught him directly. His dad taught him to be a drug dealer. <coughs> he became a drug dealer, and now he's paying a hefty price for it. And it's sad because we see that all the time with people. Some people, some people allow their children to just run wild, you know, have sex with everybody in the world. Next thing you know, you've got three or four little children that who the daddies are and things such as that. And it's a, it's a, it's a hard situation to remedy after, you know, because, and the kids do that because that's what mama did and that's what daddy did and they, that's all they see. And, uh, they're going to, they're going <coughs> to imitate whatever they see, whether good or whether bad. So the question then becomes in verse, in what we read in Proverbs, train up a child in the way they should go and they'll not soon fall, they'll, they'll, they'll stay with it, they'll not depart from it. 
Well, then the question, just kind of like we asked last week, the question maybe, well, then what should, what is the way that they should go? You know, because if we're looking at the Bible as sort of our guidebook for parenting here, what is the way that they should go? Well, let's go to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. Book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. And in particular, let's drop down to verse, well, two verses, verse 6 and verse 7. So the book of Deuteronomy is the fifth verse, or fifth book in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Tony, do you care to read that, please? And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk to them of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. So if we go back to the first verse of chapter 6, actually, the title of chapter 6 Deuteronomy chapter 6 for me, the title is the greatest commandment, okay? And verse 1 in chapter 6 says, now, the, now this is the commandment and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the God, Lord your God and keep all his statutes and his commandments which I've commanded to you. So <clears throat> bottom line here is what's being taught is these people need to follow this commandment of God. Okay? So, if we can use that as our example, then as a teacher or as a guide for our children, what should they be taught to follow? I think Ecclesiastes gives conclusion all matter, fear God, keep his commandments. So, if here the conclusion of the whole matter is fear God and keep his commandments. Well, we see it right here in the first part of chapter 6. So now let's go down to what Tony said. Because you might say, well, I'm going to take my child to church on Sunday. And that'll be good. Well, maybe not every Sunday, but most Sundays. And that'll be good. And we're, we're, going, to, we're going to do that to the best of our ability. Well, that's not really what we see here, right? If we read in verse 6 and 7 of chapter 6, verse 6, and these word I, words which I command you today shall be where in verse 6? In your heart. Okay? Now, obviously, there's not a hole in your heart that you plug a little, you know, it's not like that. But what does it mean there when it says these words shall be in your heart? You'll keep them there. There's some things that we keep in our heart, right? There's some other things that we don't keep anywhere, right? You've been told something a hundred times and you're never going to remember it, okay? You will never remember what it is. How many of you have things in your life that you've been told a million times and you can't, you couldn't tell me right now what it is, all right? Well, the fact that we raised our hand is probably, I'm glad you didn't raise your hand. You've already forgot it in the first place. But those things that we keep in our heart, those things are always going to be there. What are those things that we keep in our heart? You don't have to be specific, but what are they? The special things. What else? Your children. Your children. They have Absolutely. Close connections. Loves and losses and whatever else it might would be. It says there in verse 6, These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Should the words of God be in our heart? Put them right there as well. Now let's go to verse 7 because a minute ago we said, well, we, we, we're going to bring the kid to church. And, you know, we're going to try to do everything that we possibly can. Well, verse 7 tells us when, right? What do we read in verse 7? You shall teach them, you shall teach them the words which he's commanded to you diligently to who? 
diligently to your children. Diligent means, to be diligent means what? Persistent. Persistent, okay? Teaching is a persistent task. I've had very few students who you could teach at once and you never had to teach again. It's hard. When you're teaching math, when you're teaching reading, whatever it might be, you got to keep instructing them. Just because they get it right once doesn't mean they're always going to get it right. The same with our religious teaching, right? What, we, wouldn't it make sense if we just had like one sermon for every subject and we preached it once and we just never came back again because we didn't need to do it again? Why don't we do that? Why don't we have that one baptism sermon and we, we taught it eight years ago, that's good, we don't need it anymore. Why do we teach some of these topics over and over again? Repetition is how we learn, and we need to know, and we need to know the importance of it. Okay, so we're going to be diligent in our teaching, and whatever that teaching is, we need to be diligent to it. So we're going to be diligent in teaching our children. <clears throat> Second part, and shall talk of them what? What do we read there in the second part of verse seven? Teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when what? When you sit in your house. Okay, what's the next one? When you walk by the way, what else? When you lie down and what? Okay, so give that to me in a lot simpler, easier to understand, one or two words. When should we be talking, dealing, teaching with this? All the time. Interesting, right? So if we spent every day concerned about teaching and instructing with regards to the Word of God, what are the children going to learn? They're going to know it. They are going to know it. You know, Daniel, we have an example of that in the New Testament in Timothy. You know, Paul told him, he prayed for him night and day, and he said, For I am mindful of your sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm satisfied it's in you as well. See, you know, the grandmother, mother, he knew, Paul knew what Lois and Eunice had done for Timothy, right? And it wasn't a, well, we got a couple minutes here, we'll, we'll work on that. He had been instructed right then and there. Now, I'll say this because I'm a really big fan of maps and geography. I, I love it, okay? If you look at a map, there are all kinds of place names in the United States that to a lot of us don't make sense. But in reality, they should make a lot of sense. And here's why. Most people that, of the original settlers of the United States, if they could read, could read one thing, and that was the Bible. And it wasn't necessarily a lack of intelligence, but it was a lack of availability. The Bible's what they had. And so they read the Bible from front to back up. A lot of our place names are named after places that existed in biblical times because they had some kind of significance. Because it meant something. Maybe it was a hilly place in the Bible, and they settled in a hilly place, so they named it after that place. We look at it and we think, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you name it that? Well, we haven't read that. Well, part of that is, have we been studying? Have we been working as hard at our reading and learning as they were maybe doing? Were we as diligent as the Bible says? See, <clears throat> that diligent teaching and training is there... Because we have to instruct our children. If, if we want them to understand the Bible, what do we got to do? Teach it. Yeah, because no kid's going to get the Bible out and say, I think I'll just read this. Yeah. We got to teach it. 
train them up in the way they should go. When they're older, then they won't soon depart from it. You can't wait till they're 16 or 22 or something like that. You got to start on their list. It's like a, a little child. You, you teach it from the get-go. Don't touch something hot. You don't wait for it to burn just a little hand off. You try to teach them when they're probably can't even understand. But you just keep reinforcing. Don't touch that. Don't touch that. That's hot. Don't touch that. We well, don't want them to get hurt. And if you wait till they burn the little hand off, then you wait, wait for long. Thoughts on any of that? So, if we're <clears throat> teaching and guiding children. But to be diligent in our instruction. I, I will say that I think that people that are adults, <coughs> if they're not willing to do that, to raise their children themselves in the right way, they should choose not to have children. I really believe. If you don't say, I don't have time for the child, my career is much more important, my social life is much more important, I don't have time for the child, then just don't have children. That would be the very wise thing to do. Because the children deserve that. They deserve a, a proper upbringing. If you can't provide that, just stay out of the children business. Other thoughts? Let's go to Second Timothy chapter three, verses fifteen and sixteen. Now, <clears throat> if we think if we've spent the first verse we say that we need to train them up. The second verse that we read said that we needed to uh, be diligent, continue to work on this morning, night, you know, at, at home, at, at, you know, while we're walking, whatever it might be. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and look at verses 15 and 16. Connie, can you read verse 15 and 16, please? And, and that from childhood, you have known... Actually, hold on. 14, 15, and 16, please. <clears throat> But you must continue in the things which you have learned and have and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scriptures is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Okay, now we're going to come to verse 17 in a second. So if you wonder why we're skipping it, just hold on for a moment. Because when we look at what we are teaching and why we are teaching and what the kids, what should the child should gain from it and then how long it should last. Well, in these series of verses right here, we read, but you must continue in the things which you have learned. Why? Knowing who, who knowing what? Knowing from whom you've learned them and from when in the next verse, 15. Who's this letter being written to, 2 Timothy? It's in the title. <laughs> Timothy, right? So this is Paul writing to Timothy. And I, yes, this letter would have been shared and other people would have read it. But this is Paul's direct thoughts to Timothy. Who was Timothy? Leland mentioned a minute ago that he'd been taught as a youngster by his mother and grandmother. But who was Timothy? Or maybe what was Timothy? His daddy was a Greek. His mother was a Jew. Uh, his mother and grandmother were a Jew. Uh, he was almost like a son to, to Paul. You know, Paul uh, took him with him and used him as an assistant, you know, and a fellow servant. And, uh, so he was very, very close to Paul. Okay. Uh, 
Sure. Sure. So Timothy was a younger person than Paul, or at least was inexperienced compared to Paul. Maybe I don't know the exact specifications of the ages, but Paul has sort of an interest in Timothy in a sense because he's worked with him. Now, before we go any further, can we train and guide children that aren't our own? Should we train and guide children that aren't our own? Now, there's no substitution for the mother and father, and I think we would all agree with that. And there are roles that the mother and father play that we don't play. But what role in teaching and guidance do we have for people that aren't actually our children? They must be good examples. Have to be good examples to them. What else? What other roles do we play for those people? Well, we, we should treat them with respect and kindness like we would want them to treat us with respect and kindness. Okay. It, it, it's irrational to think that I'm going to treat these kids bad, uh-huh. but expect them to treat me with honor. Sure. It's not right. We should show them correct. And we talked a little bit about that last week when we read in the earlier verses in Ephesians chapter, well, I guess in Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, uh, to, to treat the mother and father with honor and respect or what have you. But we said that that's something that we should do for everyone uh, else, not just for the mother and father. Verse 15 of chapter 3, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to what? Make you wise for salvation through what? Through faith, which is where? Okay, so what Paul is telling Timothy right here is that knowledge that you gained from a young person develops into wisdom as you get older, right? And it strengthens your faith in Christ. Is, that, is there accuracy in this statement? <clears throat> the more we learn from a younger age, the better we'll be able to carry it out later. Have you ever seen on maybe TV or news or something a child who's really talented at like say a musical instrument maybe a, a, a violin or piano <clears throat> I've been told, I don't know because I've never really tried it but I've been told that the best time to teach kids musical instruments is when they're really young. You know why? They pay attention, that's part of it. Why else would it be wise to, to why maybe it would be better to teach a kid that instrument at a young age? Do what? They are developing. Why would it probably not be the best idea for me to get a violin tonight and start doing my best? Why, why is that probably not going to work? I have. I'm not too interested in learning to play the violin. Well, then you're distracted by a lot of other things. You're married. You know, you got a job. You got right. responsibilities. You're a parent. Right. Uh, a little three-year-old don't have any of those things. All they think about is maybe playing. Right. And that's fun. That's what's wonderful. Well, a violin is a, in a sense, playing. You know, it is thing. another tour. And, uh, <clears throat> and their little minds are just sponges. They well, just absorb mm-hmm. it so much quicker than. I may have told this before, but the guy who used to be the principal at the middle school when I taught there, he took piano lessons as an adult. I mean, he was probably late 30s, early 40s, 
And he had a little book, and his whole goal was to try and get through that book before the little girl that came after him for her lesson. Well, she's like six years old, and he just wanted to get done with the training book before the little girl did. Because he knew that he had to beat, he's 40, he had to beat the six-year-old, right? Well, that in, in anything, the 40-year-old will beat the six-year-old. But in that, it's more difficult because it's hard, like we said, to learn. So when we read in verse 15 that from the childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, if we're teaching a child from the very beginnings of childhood what the Bible says, then that's going to stay sort of there within their brain. Because let's go back. Those kids that played the violin when they're six years old, do you think they'll be able to play it when they're 40? They may not be a professional, but they can still play it. I saw something the other day. Uh, it was the University of Mississippi band, alumni band was what it was. And they were playing a song. And there were people in there that were anywhere from 20 years old to 80 years old. And they were playing instruments that they had played when they were in college. Well, a lot of them probably hadn't played an instrument very much at all in the last 20, 30, 40 years. They had it, but didn't play much of it. But you know what the song sounded like? About perfect. Because they had been trained at a young age how to do it. If we expect our children to be knowledgeable in the word of Christ when they're old, where are they going to get that knowledge? Where do they need to get that knowledge? When they're young. It's going to be a lot easier. Have you, be honest, have you ever been distracted at church? Yeah. Well, Jameson, you don't count. You've got, uh, you've, you brought your distraction with you tonight. Okay? But, have you ever been distracted at church? Have you ever been paying as close of attention as you could to the sermon, but other things sort of creep in your head? I've got, we've got this to do at work. This is Thanksgiving week. I've got to get this ready for Thursday. You know, if we, you know, I hope it gets done by 12. We'll have time to be able to get here because we've got to get back. I mean, those distractions is, and, and there's nothing wrong with that because that's how we live our lives, right? We're constantly thinking. But those distractions sort of creep in. Well, if you're trying to teach somebody the gospel for the first time and they're 40 or 50 years old, those distractions are already sort of built in. It's going to be doubly hard to teach that person. Verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for what? Hold on. Profitable for doctrine first. What does that word mean, doctrine? What is doctrine? Profitable for teaching. And profitable means what? You gain from it. A, a business that makes a profit is gaining money. A business that doesn't make profit is losing money. So it's profitable. You can gain from its teaching. Profitable for doctrine. For what? Reproof. What does reproof mean? That's a word we don't really use at all anymore. What does reproof mean? I'd say the word proof. <clears throat> The Bible should be used, the doctrine is, this is the rules, and you can use this to enforce the rules. Okay. This is what the Bible says. Okay. That's what we're proof. So prove, proof or prove, if you prove something, if I prove something, what would I mean to reprove it? Enforce it. it, it yeah. Look at it again and show again why the answer is such. We talked about the math teacher back earlier uh, in, the, in, the, in the class. If the math teacher writes 2 plus 2 is 4 on the board, well, the kids have learned it, right? But a good math teacher later on in that class is going to go back in, and they're going to look at 2 plus 2, and the kids are going to tell them what? 
forward. Not all of them will. Some of them will get it wrong. So they got to reprove it. You got to teach it. The gospel is the same way. If we tell it once, I think Connie's got it. I hope she's got it. We're never going to talk about it again. Well, it'd be silly, right? We're going to teach it, teach it, teach it, and teach it, and teach it. Because it says a profitable doctor teaching is profitable, so we're going to gain from it. We're going to reprove it. We're going to realize. We're going to understand what it said. And then we'll reaffirm what it said. Profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for what? What's the next one? For correction. Okay? What does that word mean, correction there? All scripture is given for correction. Well, you can, you can tell someone who's got error in their life, it's not my opinion. It's not my opinion that you, that you need to change your ways. It's the Bible. You know, it's the Bible. I can use this to correct them. We struggle a little bit with this because most of our efforts at correction often become opinion, right? Well, I don't like that. Okay? Well, I don't think that that's right. Well, what's wrong with that statement? I don't like that or I don't think blah, blah, blah. What's wrong with that? That's opinion. That, that's just me talking. Okay? It's kind of like if the policeman pulls you over and says, you, I'm, I think you were speeding. You need to slow down. And you say, how fast was I going? Well, that's the logical question, right? And the policeman should say what in response to your question? How fast it was. And they'll probably say, well, you were going 62 and the speed limit is 55. So now you've been instructed and you've also seen where you were wrong. If he says, oh, I wasn't even running the radar, I just feel like you were going too fast. <laughs> What's he basing it on? What he saw? What he thinks he saw? Well, if we talk to people and we say, well, what you're doing, wrong. You need to quit that. Should we preface it every time with Absolutely. Because the policeman's going to say, the law says you're to be going 55 miles an hour right through here. We need to say, I don't like what you're doing or I don't agree with what you're doing. The Bible says we've got a track in the back. I think we do. We used to have one. But it says like scriptures for every single, maybe in it last year, maybe 20 years ago. I don't know. But it's a scripture for everything that you can come contact with. It's basically one verse if somebody's doing this or if somebody's doing that. Well, <clears throat> it's going to be really hard for me to be able to say, well, you're doing this wrong. Where would we, how can I correct that person? How could I point them in the right direction? There's information that can give that for you as well. You can't be a genius and know, you know, that for every person that maybe knows all the verses, there's a lot of them like me that don't know any of them hardly. And you've got to have those kinds of ways that we can correct. Let's finish up. For instruction in what? See, correction is not a critical thing. A lot of people think correction is critical. That kid that got two plus two is five on the board? They had it wrong. But they've got to be what? They need to be corrected. They need to be corrected. Because if you don't get it corrected, two plus two is going to be what for that kid from now on? If you don't instruct your kid in the way that they're supposed to be brought up, the instruction that was wrong from the start will be wrong in the future as well. That correction has to be there for instruction 
in righteousness. The instruction, the teaching that comes from it. Let's go to verse 17 because we skipped that or we just didn't read it a minute ago. Uh, read, just read verse 17. Chapter 3, verse 17. So that the man of God may be my Bible says may be complete and thoroughly equipped, but either one of those works just fine. What's the purpose of all of this? What's the purpose of training, teaching, guiding children? So that they can be completely thoroughly equipped to do every good work. Verse 17, if that was in your biography, would be a very good description of you, right? If you were complete, if you were thoroughly equipped for every good work. If somebody is thoroughly equipped for every good work is because they've been trained to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The role of a parent is to teach and to guide the child so that they can be that thoroughly equipped person that Timothy was in chapter 3, verse 17. Questions? Let's go back to verse 16. This man says, All scripture is inspired by God. And haven't you heard people say that some of the books of the Bible are not inspired? Yeah. I'm taking this to say that all scripture is inspired. Now, what it means by inspired is God breathed. So, so what you do in that verse then is you remove the whole, what we talked about a minute ago. Well, I think, I think, I think. You sort of take that I think out of there. Because I think and you think is probably different. Because we're different people with different backgrounds and different ideas. So we take that I think out. That's why the verse is really good to read. Whatever verse it is, we're going to read that verse. I'll let you read that. Okay? If the Bible says that it's inspired by God, I'll let you read it. You tell me what it says. That's not me. That's not me saying, well, Daniel said, verse 15, dot, dot, dot. That's just like people will say, well, you don't judge me. It's not me that's judging. It's the word that's judging. And I think that's absolutely. And I think that's where in verse 16, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness all comes in. It's a it's a judgment, perhaps. It's a it's a ruling, whatever it might be, but there's a correction that is designed to come with it. Paul is telling Timothy, he's foretelling Timothy of bad, perilous times to come. But he's wanting to make sure that he's staying strong. That he'll, and he knows he's prepared. He's not, he's not prepared. He's still got to endure these crises that are sure to come. And the same, the same message is for us today. Every, today may be a good day, okay? And tomorrow may be a bad day for any of us. We may have a terrible day tomorrow. I've, I've always liked the story of Neil Armstrong. He's landing the Lunar Mars in 1969. The guy head of mission control, they're really worried because this is not. And as he starts to land, it's really looking back. You know, they're running out of fuel, few seconds. But he said, but then I realized he got the best pilot in the world flying. Well, that's comfortable, you know. Uh, we need to be the best pilot that we can be with God's Word. I'm going to, I'm prepared, you know. My mother took us to church when we was that big, right on us. Well, you learn a lot. You right. can't help but learn. Thank, thank the Lord that she did that. Because what if she had? You know, you've been taken to church. Your entire life, uh, Jessica, you know, and, and lots of people in here have done that. And what a, what a wonderful blessing it is. But you're prepared. You're prepared for the world. Because it's perilous times are coming. You know, problems. Now, let me finish with one other thing. 
Because as a school teacher, we were at the mercy of whoever walked in that room. And every kid that walked into that room came from a different place. And some of them came in there, they were, they were 10th graders and they had, fifth, they had 12th grade minds. Some of them were 10th graders and they had 3rd grade minds. Some of them were somewhere in between. Some of them had parents that were designed for them to be as good as possible and some of them didn't even have parents. Those people are going to come into the church as well. So we can't let this lesson be, well, if we don't teach a kid when they're little, show's over. Okay? This is, our lesson tonight has been about teaching and guiding and instructing children. And so I, that, I want to be clear about that. But these same sort of principles, the same idea of teaching, if the person shows up for the first time with no biblical knowledge and they're 50 years old, we still work in the same way. So I wanted to be clear on that. I, I hope that, I think we all understood that I wanted to include that uh, in there as well. Next week, we will talk about disciplining your children. Uh, so uh, that'll be what we cover next time. Thank you so much.